The military is making a big push to make its data more usable, standardized, and operational, so it can be used for advanced technologies like artificial intelligence. In the next three months, the Navy will come out with a series of policies to help make that happen. Those policies will build on broader DoD guidance to make data work for the Navy's purposes. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni talked with Thomas Sasala, the Navy's chief data officer, about what's coming down the pike. So at the very highest level at OSD, we are writing the strategy, right? And the military departments in large parts all agreed probably about a year or so ago not to have their own data strategies, uh, that we would take the DOD data strategy and then write an implementation plan against that. So, you know, in the hierarchy, we're going to have the big guidance from DOD, and we have the obviously at the highest level the, the law and the statute from the Open Government Data Act and that kind of stuff. And down to uh, the the DOD data strategy in the last paragraph or so in the DOD data strategy says, you know, military department services, well, military departments write an implementation plan, right, mm -hmm. as well as uh, the OSD fourth estate components. Now, that's a little... It's a little difficult because there's a lot of them. We're not sure how many of them are going to actually write one and how many are going to combine together and whatever. So Michael Conlon is working the fourth estate thing, right? But this was the Department of the Navy. We're going to have one implementation plan, right, uh, that's going to cover the equities of both the Navy and the Marine Corps as well as the, uh, the Secretariat. Um, <clears throat> and then from the implementation plan, we'll have our lines of effort, the five lines of effort. And they will be assigned um, uh, leaders for those lines of effort, and they will drive the individual tasks and initiatives. And we intend, uh, Michael's intention at the OSD level, as well as our Department of Navy intention, is to that implementation plan is going to be a living document, a true, true living document, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be our roadmap for where we're going. And so as we finish things, they'll come off the list. As we need to do new things, they will go onto the list. And as the environment changes, because technology changes, right, um, we need to continuously uh, modernize, ironically modernize the plan for our modernization. <laughs> right? Right. Um, and so that's kind of the goal. He wants to revisit the I-plans every six months. I think that's a pretty good battle rhythm. It's a little aggressive for the Department of Defense, obviously. Um, but uh, we're looking for, un under Aaron's leadership, uh, some short-term wins and then set up a plan for mid- and long-term goals and objectives uh, at the dawn level and then coordinating with General Reynolds and Admiral Kohler at the Navy, uh, Marine Corps and Navy, respectively, right, uh, and say what – because some of these goals and objectives are going to be owned, you know, almost exclusively by a service, right? So the Navy has to do it this way and the Marine Corps has to do it that way or whatever. So um, – and then having that battle rhythm where we can just keep track of the status and that kind of stuff. So um, – and then – the con ops I talked about, and then the architecture is kind of going to be the big one. How do we establish the architecture and then provide that um, program guidance at the Department of Navy level? Because right now we get guidance from DOD CIO called the Capability Planning Guide, the CPG. How do we create similar guidance at the dawn level down to uh, the different components of the Navy and the Marine Corps and the people that are actually exercising the funds, right? Well, programming, planning for it, and then exercising, right? So. So, so the data plan is more like a, a philosophy, like, look, this is what we need to do with data. And then this architecture, where does that take it? Is that structure of, of your data? Yeah, it's, well, it's a, it's a combination of both. Right now, the architecture comes in the form of what I'm going to call a descriptive guidebook on how to structure systems in terms of data movement. Uh, so at the lowest level, you'll have what I'm calling originating data sources. I don't like to call them authoritative because in many cases they're not authoritative, right? But the data has to originate somewhere, and they usually originate in some sort of legacy system, right? So we want to clean and curate that data, bring it into a data lake um, that is at a domain-specific lake. So, for example, log, medical, uh, you know, financial management, right? So if it's, if it's money data, bring it into the financial management lake and have a clean curated set of data there. 
and then propagate that up into an enterprise domain uh, data environment or data lake, right, that has all the data integrated across the different components, right? So what that allows us to do is rather than boiling the ocean by having a like one Dawn data model, which would never really be truly successful, um, we push that down to the lowest level and have, uh, it's almost like a you know an agile software development scrum approach where the teams are self-organizing. In this case, we're going to say, hey, at the lowest level, the people that are using the data and need to, need to interoperate with data, tell me how you want your data to look. Right, and then we we the things that need to be moved up at the next level or need to go horizontally into another domain will be standardized upon through these interface IESs, these interface exchange specifications, right? Um, and that's kind of the structure of the the not only the data management program but the data architecture itself, right? How feasible is it to get? Obviously, there's no end goal because it's a living document, right? But you know, how feasible is it to get? to a quote-unquote AI or to get to something, you know, really exciting at this point? Yeah, so I think it, we, I think we can move very quickly. I really do. Uh, to your point, uh, we're calling it the target state because there's, there's no end state because right, you pointed right. it's, it's just going to continually evolving uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, anytime someone talks to me about AI, my first question is AI for what, right? Because mm-hmm. there's different types of machine learning, deep learning, uh, human-assisted decision-making type algorithms out there, right? So, like, autonomous vehicle AI is vastly different than predictive maintenance AI, right? So, for some of what I'll, I'm not, I don't want to downplay the importance of AI, but for some of the more mundane, <laughs> you know, applications of advanced technology, like predictive maintenance, right, I think we can get there pretty quickly, yeah. right? Uh, for, you know, <laughs> A fleet of uh, AI-driven, you know, ships. Mm, it, it's it's going to be a while, if ever, right? Because then you have to question yourself about the ethics of AI and and what what does that really mean of having um, a platform capable of kinetic targeting that is not being doesn't have a human in the loop, right? right. So that's that. There are some. Actually, legit, not just technologically is it difficult to do, but some legitimate just uh, you know, people concerns about the ethics around do we really want to do this? Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I was at a conference in the spring and, and they were actually talking about the ethical rollout of AI and they asked the question about, you know, was the rollout of the, of the um, Tesla autonomous driving vehicle ethical or not? Because it wasn't completely disclosed the details. It's not really... A, a self-driving car, right? right. <laughs> it's not supposed to be anyway, right? right. Um, although some people, like the marketing hype took over. And so we, we got to think through that. Um, I do think you're going to see, you already see it today, um, even on the ships that have existed for 20 years, it's something like the phalanx, right? Um, it's not artificial intelligence, but it's machine guided, right? A human's not doing the targeting, right? A human says, go ahead and fire, right? And so I, I think that's, there, you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, and it's more going to be about, you know, augmenting the soldier or the sailor, not replacing them in my mind, right? Putting them in front um, and taking the kind of first rounds, I think is where you're going to see where a lot of the autonomous uh, work is going to happen. Uh, and again, I'm speculating. I'm not a military operator by trade, but, <laughs> but I play one on TV so, or on the radio. You kind of talked about doing the new systems first almost, right? So like, how is that going to help you then rather go back and look at all the legacy and just like crunch all that? Right. Well, so the Navy's got a number of really important platforms coming online very quickly uh, that are going to be kind of groundbreaking in terms of how we manage our systems. And by extension, we have the opportunity to use those to be groundbreaking in terms of data management. So uh, the goal for the FN community is to move to one general ledger for the Department of the Navy, right? So that's way better than where we are today, right? The goal of the human capital uh, military management, personnel management folks is to move to one 
system for managing uh, military personnel, right? And so it, it, the the it's called My Navy HR now, right? But it's their plan is 55 to 1, right? That's pretty audacious. <laughs> and so by influencing those programs as they're being developed and thinking about managing data differently, right? Um, so Army's uh, personnel management system called IPSA, uh, they have couple hundred interfaces to legacy systems that they're taking the data out of the legacy systems and they're quote unquote making it better to get it into IPSA but what they don't really have is a solid plan to turn those legacy systems off that IPSA won't necessarily completely replace the systems and so that's the game changer I think for the department and the Navy is being able to say hey this system is going to replace the legacy systems and then having the governance and the wherewithal to actually turn the legacy stuff off which is as you know much harder than it should be (laughs) that's tom sasala the navy's chief data officer talking with federal news network scott massione you can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com everything's getting more expensive these days gas rent and even your music while other music services keep jacking up their prices live one is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, Always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 